106.5 WFMP, this is Community Control Now, the show that seeks to promote democratic control of the police. I'm your co-host, Vincent Gonzalez, with me with my esteemed colleague, Michael T. Say what's up to the people. What's up, people? Hey, what's up? So, we at Community Control Now will fight to end the rampant abuses at the heads of the police and abolish the criminalization of the entire segments of population that's used to feed the prison industrial complex. All right, so this is the fourth show for our pilot, and you know, I guess the the big wigs at the network will will decide over um, if this will be a regular thing or not. Um, shout out to Justin K A, everyone else that's uh, helped us out and is at Roof. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah shout Roof out to Newman. Roof, Roof Newman. Roof Newman, right on. Shout out to them for giving us a shot here, um, trusting us to you know, throw together this show and a passion project of both of ours, uh, seeking to find the democratic control of the police as a viable solution to what ills us, police brutality in the city of Louisville. And we hope as a model, you know, all over this country to uh, use this as a, a launching vehicle to truly talk about what it means to be safe in a community and how we go about that. So, Brother T, man, what's going on? What, what, what you got for the people today? Well, as you said, my brother, this is our fourth pilot. And we, for those who have been following this, as Vincent said, we've been trying to lay out the case for community control of the police as a transitional reform towards abolishing policing as we know it. In the three previous episodes of this, we've tried to go into the history of policing in the United States, starting with the slave patrols through the post-chattel slavery period and the rise of the Klan and the police. And as the police were evolving into permanent structures of supposed social safety, We've traced the continued collaboration between white supremacy and policing through the civil and human rights movement at the early part of the 20th century through the mid part of the 20th century. Uh, we've talked about um, uh, the emergence of the Black Panther Party as a response to police repression and providing alternatives to the state police where we've had we had community people community activists actually policing the police and we know that this struggle has continued to this very day uh, with the glorious uprisings of uh, 2020 against police repression there's been a renewed focus on this issue with the carceral state and imprisonment of so many peoples of color uh, makes this a very vital issue and has a lot of potential for the need for community control of all of the vital institutions in our community. So as you beautifully summed up, you know, we've been hitting at and we're looking at, I know you love to use the term dialectically, looking at the inherent contradictions froth through the history of white supremacy to 
the present day policing system. Now, our esteemed listeners will, um, I'm very much preaching to a choir here in that we find this to be highly inadequate in so many ways. I won't get too much argument, even from persons of conservative leanings. They will, you know, if they're being honest, will admit that at its core, we cannot carry on business as usual. So I feel like, and this is why I am on an FM radio station right now, I feel like the bigger task belies in, we understand that this is, this is fundamentally inadequate and dangerous, the, the current policing system that we have and, and how it targets persons of color and persons of lower income. We understand this to be, uh, if we want to move together in a benevolent society, this is not the way to do it, to say the least. But what we, uh, I think, need to really state the case for and, you know, get to the roots of is what does that new benevolent world look like? So we're advocating for community control now, but to give ourselves a fighting shot, I really feel like uh, we got to lay out what that truly entails here. Uh, before I do that, I would like to uh, just introduce and tell everyone about our pledge drive. It's going on right now. Go to forwardradio.org. Uh, you can make a pledge with, uh, you know, every little bit counts. Uh, we have a goal of $5,000 to in order to run the station. It costs about $20 a day. Shout out to all of our esteemed listeners who, who have given to the station. You allow uh, us to do political and social engagement with the fine citizens of this town through your donations. We also, uh, there's some premiums. You can go to the website, check that out if you give. I think, I think they're kind of doing it like PBS here. What's the dollar amount for the tote bag? You familiar? <laughs> Not at all. Okay. Well, you know, it's there. You can get a tote bag, some other stuff. But, uh, you know, this is uh, what democratic and socially conscious radio looks like. Not a lot of towns have this. So we should trust it and fund it to be the gem that it truly is. All right. So we're going to get into the meat of it here. Let's start our show. Laid it out a little bit. What is community control of the police? What does it look like? So our dear brother, Frank Chapman, out of the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Repression. So familiarizing some of our listeners with the and uh, please come in behind me if I don't get everything 100% right. The National Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression was started after uh, the momentum from the Free Angela Davis movement, you know, as some of these, you know, campaigns, single issues. They met the goal of politically advocating for her release. After that, it was like, you know, persons involved in that struggle, they said, let's keep the energy going. If I'm not mistaken, upwards of 40 chapters of the National Alliance were formed and, you know, had various degrees of political struggle in their respective towns and areas. Um, the Kentucky Alliance, around maybe about the 20-year mark or so of that, was one of the last surviving ones. 
but also one of the guys who kept it going was uh, Frank Chapman out of Chicago, longtime strong advocate, um, has some political leverage in that town as a, a revolutionary freedom fighter. And um, one of the big ones, and uh, this is no pie in the sky that we are trying to promote here. I need our esteemed listeners to understand that how far is Chicago from here? Like four and a half hours away, what something like that? that. Yeah, you could probably catch a Cub game on a on a clear day. <laughs> We're <laughs> close enough. But these things that we advocate for, Frank Chapman and his coalition, he's he's teamed up with fellow uh, police reformers, police abolitionists, uh, the Chicago Alliance, and the recently relaunched National Alliance with the blessing of Dr. Angela Davis. Um, They have put forth and are in negotiations with the mayor's office to get this thing that we advocate for off the ground. Mm -hmm. Now, as these things go, we are, and if we call ourselves to be principled in our stance this is a a constantly evolving project and what that engagement looks like and you know the routes in which we take to meet that end goal of the the abolition of lack of checks and balances within this carceral state you know we have to lay down the foundation before we can go anywhere else so Brother Frank and his team, they lay out eight points here. I'd like to just take one point at a time. Mike, you can come through. Mm-hmm. And I'd like lay to down say some tracks on that. Yeah, what you got, you man, begin, before we brother, get in. Is yeah. that, um, what Vincent is about to go into is a particular proposal for community control of the police, uh, specifically how that could take place. We know that different cities will require different models. This is one model, one proposal that uh, right now, as we speak, has reached a stage where the advocates of this model that Vincent's about to lay out are in negotiations with the city council of Chicago around implementing this. So that shows this... You know, has a great a, a, a lot of possibilities, but going forward with this program, we want to present various models of community control of the police, because we do believe that of all the major proposals being put forth outside of business as usual, which means more incarceration and more police brutality and murders, we have defunding the police. We have abolishing the police, and we have community control of the police. Now, what we're putting forth to our listeners is that as much as defunding the police is a worthwhile minimum minimum goal, if we're talking about uh, redistribution of of revenue and and vital collective resources towards activities that have to do with counseling 
and other kinds of sociological and psychological approaches to crime and um, the various social contradictions that we know exist in our, in our community. But that is not enough. And even where we see there are people doing this or trying to implement these, uh, this kind of defunding of the police, it doesn't seem to be working. And we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, we'll touch on that. And I do want us to, you know, lay down some tracks uh, before we get into that, just reminding people you are listening to Community Control Now on 106.5 WFMP with uh, your co-hosts, Michael T. and Vincent Gonzalez. So, yeah, you know, we th th there are many, and, and I, I find many of these models to be sincere in that, you know, coming from that fundamental base of something is wrong, we have to go through uh, some sort of reformative change. I, I, I think if we were to put everybody in a room that agreed with that, it'd be a pretty big room, you know? But moving forward, and when we talk about sustaining lasting revolutionary uh, reform, the, you know, we, I don't want this to look like we're splitting hairs here. These are, um, we feel, inextricably um, necessary to uh, ferment some sort of uh, revolutionary base. So I'm going to lay it out. Uh, we'll go one by one, and then we'll just we'll kind of riff off of those. How's that sound, Mike? Good. Okay, let's go it. So there's eight points. And then we're going to throw in, I, I, I know you mentioned, we're going to throw in uh, maybe a line or two that the uh, Chicago Alliance um, did not have in there. So we'll, uh, we'll hit that when we get there. But let's get it started here. First proponent of the Chicago Alliance's um, civilian review is a direct election of civilian council. Okay? Yes, we definitely, that's where it has to begin. We begin to pull together community people who are interested in this and who are competent uh, together to create a council that is democratically elected, that um, will elect people who will make up the council to actually have power over the policing institutions. We think that's vital. And it is vital that the people who are placed on this council are represented by the people. Um, we know across the country there are two ways that people are proposing to do that. Uh, one in Chicago, uh, which we're focusing on now, uh, through a um, referendum or, as in Washington, D.C., uh, the strategy is to uh, have the... Uh, I want to say a ballot initiative. A ballot initiative yeah. to do this. And, you know, in Louisville, it, we might choose one or the other or something else. Yeah, I but think what well, we're... The we would democratically be, uh, elected is the key phrase Yeah, there. that's the key. So I would say, um, I think within that, yeah, we fundamentally agree 
that in order to, because the alternative would be, um, and this is the the current setup in town here, you are uh, appointed by, it's a, I guess some sort of brokering the Metro Council person, I think typically of the district you live in, will put forth your name uh, to the mayor's office to be submitted to uh, the current uh, accountability board that we have. And we think that's so, unacceptable. Yeah. That does yeah. not change the power dynamics at all. No. So, I mean, for, for like, can we, can we riff on that for a second here? I mean, among other things, I've, I've perhaps uh, said this uh, many times. I, I meant it. You know, I wouldn't trust this mayor's office. We, we know of the, the degree of cover-up um, within the media of the Breonna Taylor murder the degree of cover-up that the mayor's office, uh, you know, sought to um, put forth. And they, their strategy in the first um, month or so of the Breonna Taylor murder was to sweep it under the rug. And, and you know, they didn't prepare any sort of uh, safeguards, um, you know. We're not even going towards just focusing purely on problematic stance of giving the mayor's office uh, the ultimate authority over who uh, it gets to be on any of these boards. Um, so in, in this particular case, they swept it under the rug and a administration that, that would do such a thing, how much trust could they have to uh, pick people who are person-centered, are, are, you know, reform, revolutionary-minded. I, um, I value my life, so I wouldn't hold my breath too long on that one. So that's where we see here. And when we talk about direct election to this council, um, I think Franken is correct. Please correct me if I'm uh, misspoken a bit. Franken, his crew, they set the precincts that they have for the police districts, you know, how they how they carve up a city map of which, um, you know, police uh, precinct, you know, deals with the parts of town. Um, I'm trying to think of what the structure is. I know there's precincts, there's beats, which is like a step lower than that. Um, but, you know, there's a structure there. Um, Frank proposes and and his team. I don't want to uh, miss out on all the all the people who help in in the revolutionary struggle. They propose that um, people should vote within their precinct for someone who lives there. I mean, that's just one to one. We talk about just you know cut and dry justice of it all. The people who live in these communities should have the ultimate say and how they are being policed. So uh, I, would, I would propose, they, it, the document doesn't touch on it much, but I would say for myself and what I know of uh, free and fair elections, I mean, we're dealing with this in Georgia now, uh, um, the restrictions around uh, accessibility to um, the democratic process. Um, for this, I would presume... Um, at best, any sort of like financing 
this would be a, a, a nominal amount at best. I wouldn't even, I mean, in my imagination, we're talking less than $100. And I'm talking about um, campaign that you would wage to be on this board. Now, these things, in my experience, it never really gets to that. But I don't know. How do you feel about that? This, um, the idea that if we were to put this together, it would be um, as demonetized as possible so that we can get straight to the people, um, you know, regardless of because, you know, if, if, if that gets off the rails, it turns into a, um, a space race, you know, who, who's got the, the most uh, monetary influence. So, yeah, I mean, do you agree on that point? Yes, I see your point there. Mm. Yeah. So I think just adding a caveat to that, uh, second point, final authority over policy oversight, uh, budget, and this includes um, uniting or rationing of the police budget, okay? So if you look at, I guess, the flow chart of how these things are decided, um, my apologies, I'm not 100% clear on Chicago's processes, but I'm familiar, uh, you know, I, I watch the occasional Schoolhouse Rock video. Uh, these things are proposed. The budget is proposed um, in the combination of, you know, whatever council, your legislator in the city, and the um, many times you'll see the mayor's office will propose their own budget. And then from there, there's a process of reconciliation where both the uh, council and the mayor's office decide on, you know, what, what that budget looks like. You know, there's comment periods and those uh, civically engaged viewers of this radio station. Uh, you can be familiar with uh, when, when, you know, budget proposal time comes in, you get, you know, people come out the woodwork, they're proposing things, you know, so it's, I mean, it's it's truly a sight to behold where you see people propose where this pool of tax money that we uh, collected through citizenry of, I mean, even if you're receiving a Social Security income, that's being taxed, you know. So um, this pool of money, um, how it is um, disseminated throughout the city is decided during that. What this proposal is saying is that uh, before you do, as it pertains to the police budget, many metropolitan areas, the police budget is, um, I mean, sometimes it's, you know, five to sevenfold any other, um, you know, service-based task in a city. So what this proposal is saying is... Um, before you sign off on anything else, before you cut any checks in the police department, this council needs to uh, give you guys the okay. The people need to say, this is the way we want this money to be spent. And that's, I mean, that's that, I think that's pretty just thing to advocate for. I don't think, I don't think they're asking for a lot here. You know, you know the people... They're, they're, their bodies are being harmed 
by these proposals, I think it's only right that we give them the say to say, you know, I get to decide uh, where where these things go. So, yeah, and because it's a it's a complete contradiction that the people, the public, who is supposed to be served by the policing apparatus uh, can't negotiate the police contracts. Now, that might sound pretty radical to some, but we think that given the vital role that police presently play and how they are at least in their relationship to the African-American communities and others, we could also say the uh, Latinx communities, they have proven to be incompetent. They are alienated from the community. So the community has to have the final authority over how they function and specifically the kinds of funds that are given to them and we need to have the final authority over how they are distributed. Any budget that's passed has to pass through us, the well, democratically elected councils. So I know we, and we, um, I'd say you astutely laid out in previous shows the history of how we got here. Why is there such a, and we've seen uh, similar proposals from, you know, different advocacy groups in this town and other uh, metropolitan areas that have sought to, to have that to give us a say in how our bodies are being policed. And there's um, I've seen across the board just fighting tooth and nail by the powers that be. Why, why is that? Why don't they uh, believe that the citizenry has the capacity to, to understand these things. I think one thing, Vincent, is that there are forces in the ruling class who don't want people to have the power. They will say that they are representative of the people, and by electing them, uh, that gives us the power. But we know there's been a disconnect. And in almost all of these institutions that supposedly serve the public the public has very little say-so. I mean, sociological studies have been done that show people have even lost faith that they will ever be able to do that. And we've got to restore that faith by showing people that we can move to true democracy, and it must begin with controlling democratically the forces of coercion. Yeah. But that, that's interesting. You said you said a point, man. I was just had to marinate on it a little bit. Um, for many people, seeing uh, the walls, you know, being, uh, you know, locked under, or you know, the, these uh, these access to these, um, you know, paths to reconciliation or justice, uh, we're being diverted from them. Um, you said, for many of our citizenry, uh, a degree of nihilism has taken a hold and we feel like there's you know I, I i talk to people man sometimes i just walk around i talk to people about various things and they say hey man what are they gonna you know what are you gonna do you know they're gonna uh you know do what they want anyway talking about you know the city any any person with a degree of power and 
it breaks your heart a little bit to hear that. I'm like, man, this is, you know, the, the, the material conditions have resigned people to this point where, you know, we feel like this is the best we can do. But we've got to instill in people, before you go to that third point, though, Vincent, that we've got to do something. Yeah. If we're going to survive and prosper, then we've got to gain control over the police. Mm -hmm. This goes beyond just our popular notions of policing. We're talking about social safety. Social safety is imperative. And since the policing as we know it has not resolved that problem in any way, they have not even stopped crime in any substantial way. And, we, and there's credible evidence that uh, the policing forces are being used as forces of suppression of people's rights and to suppress dissents and to even, you know, through these excessive fines and, and court costs, uh, use the oppressed communities as sources of raising revenue. That's got to end. And real social safety has got to be placed in the hands of the responsible members of the public, democratically elected. Yeah, right on. At the 30-minute mark here, want to plug, this is 106.5 FM, WFMP, Forward Radio. This is the show Community Control Now. This is our fourth pilot. I'm Vincent Gonzalez. This is my co-host, Michael T., and we're just riffing on, we're laying out the components of what community control in of the police in this town looks like. Uh, we're on point three right here. Uh, well, before I get into point three, I did want to plug uh, WFMP's second annual pledge drive from March 27th to April 9th. Uh, you can go to the website here, forwardradio.org, uh, make a pledge. We're... Ultimate goal is $5,000, and we're needing you, viewers like you, uh, to come through and um, help us out. What's the uh, what's the $100 mark there? I think you were, uh, with your soothing vocals, was you was you going to read, like, maybe a children's bedtime story or something <laughs> if they if they come through with a decent amount of money? But Maybe so. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, every, you know, all things on the table at this point. Uh, but... You know, getting back to our point here, we're hitting the uh, community control uh, components as laid out by the Chicago Alliance, who uh, I want to reiterate again, they are uh, very close to implementing something of this nature uh, in the city of Chicago. So point number three is full authority on disciplinary measures and legal resources, including subpoena and the convening of grand juries. And that is so critical. Uh, now, in that uh, proposal, is um, does that cover uh, the um, what was that term? I'm trying to think of where the police. Are oh, you talking about qualified immunity? Qualified yeah, immunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's, he didn't. Now, now, um, Frank and his crew, they do not. Uh, they didn't specifically lay that out in there, but let's touch on that a little bit. So what is qualified immunity? That um, the kind of setup they have now where the police can kill you and they're pretty much exempt from any kind of prosecution. So a 007 license to kill, they basically. They almost never 
uh, go to jail, almost because, never, um, or you know, receive any kind of uh, punishment for abusing you, their powers. You ever have one of these jobs, and it's kind of, well, at this point, almost every job, <laughs> the, the job responsibilities, they lay out, you know, a bullet-pointed task of what you'll be doing at your job, and they always end that final bullet point and other responsibilities as necessary. This is just a catch-all to say that uh, basically um, the supervisors or whoever is uh, running the components of the company you work for, this is some catch-all to where they can say your job is whatever we say it is. To me, to me in my mind, qualified immunity is a, a version of that. It's basically a, uh, um, a license to kill in that they... Um, you With know, impunity. Yeah, impunity. With the, so there's no sort of uh, redress, and I don't know if we found. I mean, we're we're seeing, because um, I think uh, the Floyd, the George Floyd case. Um, there's, I don't. Has there been a conviction f for that yet? As of uh, well, the last today? I heard, they've just uh, uh, set up the jury. Mm -hmm. So. People around the world are following this closely. So they got an indictment. They got a, They got a step uh, closer than we got in, in Louisville, which, I mean, uh, Hankinson got indicted uh, for um, his bullets going into another apartment, not for... Reckless um, endangerment. Reckless endangerment. Murder. And that's unacceptable. You know, yeah. we don't... We think that the police should not be exempt. Mm-hmm you know, from prosecution. Yeah. And too much of policing in America is begins with the notion that the police are immune mm -hmm. from that. And we yeah. say under our democratic, democratically elected community control boards, that will end. Yes. Yeah. So we, uh, as the language goes, full authority... So we decide there's no, um, you know, chicanery of the uh, Kentucky Attorney General sorts where, you know, disclosing, investigate. We, we got to upfront, man, the city of Louisville. We got to up close and personal how the, uh, the state powers, how they um, skirt justice time and time again. And I hope that we continue to pay attention. So, you know, we saw we saw the tricks that they did. Um, they didn't disclose all the evidence to the grand jury. Um, they, you know, what other things did they do that just wasn't uh, up to board? You know, well, I'm trying to remember something else they did that just wasn't uh, just uh, obstructionist sort of thing. They blamed um, the, the persons uh, who were in the streets. For the uh, upholding of the investigation, I personally felt like they were just uh, it was a basketball term of, uh, you know, holding the, you know, running out the clock, if you will. I mean, you can do that in other sports, too. But, uh, you know, holding the ball, uh, letting the clock run out because uh, they knew how uh, powerful some of the uh, organic uh, movement strategies were becoming and 
they decided that, you know, let the energy dissipate um, before we, you know, do what we were going to do anyway, which is, you know, we have no uh, desire to, to see justice come to fruition. So, yeah, our, our proposal, we are stripping that away from them. You know, they, they have not shown themselves to be, uh, you know, capable of handling that. So we'll take we'll take the load off of them for that. Let's go on to point number four here. Hiring and firing power. Oh, this is the one that's going to get us in trouble here. Hiring and firing power over the police chief and or superintendent. All officers on the force. And the head of any existing oversight or review boards and offices. And that's critical. And again, some might see that as radical, but we think it's only fair and democratic. And given the history of policing, that's what we have to do. Because we there's a credible case to be made, uh, even by the FBI recently, that the police have been in too many cases, locally and nationally, infiltrated by white supremacist elements. We in the radical community say that uh, those white supremacist elements were there from the beginning. It was set up as a white supremacist preserving project. So it can't be much more than that, even though it purports to be more than that. And it um, that shouldn't even be part of it. We're talking again about social safety. The fact that these policing forces have allowed the worst type of white supremacists to be part of that apparatus is unacceptable. So, therefore, as a remedy, these democratically elected councils will have the final say on who gets on the force. I mean, any number of people can apply. Um, but the final determination will be made by the council. They can be recommended by anybody. Yeah. They could go through all of the channels they need to go through, through the police. But the ultimate authority and approval has to be before these democratically elected councils. Uh, when there are cases of police violating their, um, their um, responsibilities and not upholding that, um, all kinds of um, violations, then the democratically elected councils have the final determination, which can be brought, by, brought forth by anyone, as to getting rid of these, these elements. Because as we can see, almost nothing's being done to get rid of some of the most racist and misogynistic cops in this country. Yeah. Here locally, there's a case I was talking with a you know comrade of mine about. Um, uh, what was case was that? The Eagle Scout. You talking about? You talking about the Explorers case? The Explorers so case. Explorers. The the police Expound explorers. They were kind of. Uh, I guess you know, uh, that would be a somewhat apt description. Of Eagle Scouts, if you will, but a uh, a um, youth academy for um, young people who uh, you know had the prospects of being a uh, police officer when they grow up or they have you know have some sort of interest in policing um so in this town uh, a couple of years ago there was a, a sex abuse scandal within uh the ranks they had uh 
police officers who were a part of that program. They mentored the children, and um, two of the police officers uh, within that were um, convicted and sentenced and, you know, currently are in jail for sexual misconduct amongst the um, some of the participants in that program. But I've heard that it has been insufficient. I mean, hundreds, perhaps thousands, at least hundreds of cases have come forth around this issue. And again, from people in the know, you know, that um, uh, viol those violations have not been resolved. Those, those uh, problems have not uh, been addressed in any significant way. And that's got to be addressed by the people. That mm -hmm. kind of thing cannot be tolerated. People should, conscientious people should be up in yeah. arms about a program promoted to make young people cognizant and responsible for social safety and recognize its importance and perhaps even become part of that um, to turn it into something in which young children have been abused by the police. I mean, what could be more glaring a violation of human rights than mm -hmm. that? And then what we know of uh, what's been released, uncovered by um, journalists, was that the city, uh, the police department, chief among them, but the city, uh, the mayor's office, did a degree of uh, cover-up, obstruction to, um, you know, letting the details of this case come out, be, you know, for good reason. This is a very, very egregious, um, just heinous example of, of, you know, gross misconduct. And um, so, yeah, that, I think that is a, in this town, uh, a pretty stark example of why it is so important that the citizenry can look over these people. Now, I, I'm not, this is, I'm not talking on no cancel culture or no Salem witch trial. I'm talking like objectively speaking, what have you done to be given the amount of trust that you seek, you know, in your life up to now, what, what ideologies do you hold that would shape the way you go about policing a, uh, a town? This is a town that is, um, has a, a noticeable population of African-Americans, um, Latinx, and I mean, even Asian persons in this town. So this this variance of people that you uh, seek to you know you 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 take an oath to protect you know what are you gonna put forth to to keep that oath? Mm -hmm. That's how I see that, and I, I think it's so important. Um, let me hit point number five here. Uh, well, we're rounding the bend with the forty-five minute mark. 106.5 WFMP Forward Radio. This is Community Control Now. Michael T. Vincent Gonzalez. Yeah, so we're running down the list here, and we'll just uh, kind of spot clean the rest of it with our remaining time. So number five, 
full access to all investigations by the oversight or review institutions. So I think that's, um, I think point two kind of touched on that, you know, final authority of how these things look, you know, um, you and know, these the, investigations taking place, just like yeah. you referred to earlier, Vincent, about the Breonna Taylor case. The community didn't have full access to the attorney general's investigation. Mm-hmm. You know, under a proposal like community control, that would be mandatory. Mm-hmm. Yes, the attorney general may be investigating that, but he would be or she would be authorized to give the democratically elected board full access to all of that information. Yeah. No ifs, be, ands, and buts there's about no, it. There's no, uh, this isn't up for discussion or what they, well, what I love the mayor, he, uh, he this was a throwaway line that he liked to use uh, in order to have a, a fair and balanced investigation. Uh, we, we don't want, you know, the investigation to be corrupted. We had to conceal the information, which is, it's pretty, I mean, it's, it's pretty stark considering we don't know if this will corrupt the investigation or not. We don't know what the information is. You won't give it to us. And so. we see this time and time again, not only mm-hmm. in Louisville, but in all across the country. The same type of crap goes on. Shoddy investigation, mishandled, um, and... The results are never satisfying for the com- for the community in most cases, yeah. and we don't think satisfaction is sufficiently um, obtained by just paying off the aggrieved family and making uh, certain lawyers rich. Yeah, you know that's not our idea of um, of a resolution. The, the The resolution is empowering the community to prevent as much as possible, these types of transgressions and to assuring the community uh, that their social safety will be maintained. Yeah. So I think, you know, just if anything, um, control, we keep going back to that uh, of, of these... Um, strongly held political systems where does that control and that and that power lie you know we we seek to to advocate for the citizenry of this town as much as possible understanding the supremacy clause the the nature of checks and balances that this country is founded upon um we know that to be if at all this country has has an extremely limited history of, you know, advocating, f- you know, for for the true and and actually carrying out, um, you know, true democratic say so on even minute matters. So we this is us holding them accountable uh, for these ideals that they so they hold so near and dear. Point number six. Broaden the scope of investigations to include all allegations of misconduct. So, such as such as uh, sexual misconduct, certain misconducts uh, in current city uh, when they investigate these sort of things, uh, we don't, you know, 
They don't have access to that. I mean, some places, uh, you know, you can't look at, you know, these RICO units who are going in, um, you know, taking money from people, <laughs> uh, and there's no accountability. They're not wearing their body cameras. So, you know, we're we're broadening the scope of what that looks like. You can't just, you know, something that we know is going on is a problem. You can't just sweep it under the rug and um, say that, oh, that's not the scope of, of, you know, what we're looking at, what our investigations are. You know, we're hoping to, as many, what's that, sunlight being the best disinfectant? You know, we want, we, we hope with our proposal, place as much sunlight as possible on these things. Yes, so. and, and ways and means to rectify them, mm-hmm. not just... Re- making recommendations to the current powers that be. Mm-hmm. And this is a critical point because so much of the community is being sold a bill of goods, not just in Louisville, but in many cities, that one more board to make recommendations and suggestions, but still keeping the power dynamics intact is going to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And we know it's not. We have evidence that it has not. So we need a radical rupture with that model. And that's why, you know, for our listeners, we're proposing various alternatives and models, some of which are in place right now or trying to be in place, and people are proposing all across the country. And we've got to seriously look at that here in Louisville. If we want to end these foul and vile practices of incarceration and police brutality and really maintain social safety. And, and going forward, we want to really define that piece about social safety, what that means, and why we need that, and how do we get that. And this should be a collective conversation that evolves through the democratically elected councils. I mean, we're constantly you know, trying to understand how can we best maintain the social safety of the community? How can we best uh, resolve antagonistic contradictions that will pop up? There has to be some force that does this. But we think that the history has shown that generally, and this is not an indictment of every single police person, but we think that generally this system has abdicated its responsibility. And we see this pattern all over this country, and we see it throughout the history of this country. Yeah, right on. So point number seven, negotiation on all police union contracts. I don't know. Personally, I feel like a police union should, they should take the name union out of their uh, consortium. Their, their, their syndicate, whatever they want to call themselves, they never have we seen um, this was not the, the vision of labor advocates when they wanted to collectivize uh, workers' rights. Would this be used as this license to kill or any sort of, um, they put forth a letter, which, I mean, for whatever it's worth, this is, this is their job. They are being, they pay, you pay your union dues, so um, 
Anytime somebody scratches at the door of, of attempting to reform the police, you know, you holler like a hit dog. So, you know, they put out a letter for uh, two persons on the board. These persons is, uh, um, happen to have been vocal uh, people. It's uh, State Shell, Bussy, and um, Antonio. My apologies, his uh, last name escapes me at this time. Uh, but uh, two, both African-American uh, persons, they went through their Facebook uh, post. These persons were trying to apply for the current um, review board, went through their Facebook post and saw where they had um, anti-police rhetoric in there. So the FOP wrote a letter uh, denouncing them. And you would have thought these people were, you know, they're dramatic in so many ways. They, they're acting like these people are, you know, they, they have a high degree of authority over this situation. But these contracts are, are negotiated in such a way, it's, it's a lot of bully tactics. And even the smallest bit of reformist language is squashed down immediately. So yeah. uh, the people having a say in these contracts is, a, I think, a critical piece. Um, we learned through the Breonna Taylor investigation that this uh, mayoral office of this town of Louisville is highly beholden to the um, Fraternal Order of the Police and chose to prioritize his relationship with that um, syndicate <laughs> than the true cries for justice in the streets. Mm -hmm. So, And on that point you said about, you know, the two... Uh, uh, prospects for the uh, the community review board. It shouldn't even be called that. Uh, as uh, I mean, what does that really mean? Um, the the notion that because some of the prospective candidates have a dim view of the police, that shouldn't automatically invalidate you. We have a, we're justified in having a dim view of the police. Yeah, where do, where do you think this is coming That's from? That's historically justified. Yeah. I mean, and we're not saying that the people who don't have a dim view of the police shouldn't be on the board. If they're elected by the people in that precinct or in that jurisdiction, yeah. then that's cool. But those who take a very critical perspective on the police, they have a right to and, be on the and, board if they're elected by their constituencies and, as anyone and else. In a true democratic system, you will have a variance of people yes. on here. My, I, I do give the caveat, if you, if you foment violence and... Uh, of these posts that the that the FOP had, uh, they were so concerned about, they had to pull out their Microsoft Word uh, on their computers and, and, you know, type up a paragraph or two over it. Um, you know, if you foment, uh, you know, violent, you know, this incendiary rhetoric of, of a, you know, certain height, um, these, neither one of those cases that I saw in the news uh, included that, but... Once again, they, they're, uh, they're, their stranglehold on the power causes them to, to view, you know, minutia as threats. And to misinterpret that. Yeah. So the implication is that you've got to have a positive view of the police to be on the review board yeah. that's just making recommendations that has no power currently, the way it's set up, over, you know, police practices. But everyone on it 
can't be too critical yeah. of the police. Absolutely. <laughs> so, what is that? And then the eighth and final point kind of hits on uh, this, which I guess we're being a, a little exclusionary with it, with good reason as laid out through uh, the history of it all. And we got like two minutes left, but the last point of this proposal is exclude all current and former law enforcement agents from serving on the board. Now, we can uh, kind of play with that dialectic a little bit. Why would, why would they propose something like that? What's, what, where's that coming from? I think one of the concerns there is that it doesn't become like these uh, review boards that have uh, been implemented in so many cities where they're stacked with police and people beholding to the police and they're supposedly going to reform the police. Mm -hmm. We don't think that makes sense. We're not excluding the police, you know, from this process. I mean, they, after all, are doing the policing, you know, doing the day-to-day -day job. But we're saying that the history has shown that they have not done it competently and sufficiently. You know, white supremacy has, per has permeated so much of their ranks. People are being unjustly... And uh, we incarcerated got and killed, here, brother. so they let's, let's, uh, um, bring should it home be exempt us. from the council. Yeah, yeah. So let's just bring it home here, man. This is community control now. Uh, we got all the energy that we need, led by our community, to advocate for what we feel like is the just and, and righteous way to go about this. Um, Vincent Gonzalez, Michael T. We look forward to continuing this project and. Uh, let's keep the fight going. Power to the people.